Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. My goodness, we have been richly blessed this morning, amen? I hope that your joy has been fueled by such beautiful and rich gospel-shaped worship. We're really glad that you're with us today to worship together. This is a special treat for me, Um, so I get a little bit of a taste of my grandfather, who was a Southern Baptist minister for over 60 years. And more often than not, when he preached, he had a choir behind him. And so I get to feel a little bit Baptist this morning. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Just remember, though, because you're behind me, I'm still preaching to you, choir. I am definitely preaching to the choir today. So Advent is an annual reminder that the weary world has reason to rejoice. Whatever the source of your weariness is, it could be financial strain, emotional pain, physical illness. Maybe you're just tired. It could be loneliness or spiritual emptiness or disconnection from God. Whatever the source of your weariness, the promise of Advent and the promise of the gospel is that there is a real joy and a real hope in the midst of the weariness of our world. You see, the authors of the biblical gospels, they were divinely inspired to write this story, to tell the story of the birth of Jesus Christ in order that it would generate belief and worship and ultimately joy for us in our lives at the arrival of our Savior and King. And at the conclusion of those gospel stories, these authors all conclude that this baby born in a manger is, in fact, the very Son of God. It's demonstrated through his life, through his ministry, his miracles, ultimately through his death and resurrection. He is the son of God. And that means, because that is true, that we can rejoice, that there is hope for all of us. There is reason for us to rejoice. This is absolutely good news for the whole world. And so in this series, we're focused particularly on the theme of joy. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to emphasize the joy of particular individuals and also groups of people. So this morning, we're focused on Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, I know that throughout church history, there have been various streams that have perhaps overemphasized Mary. I think that's misguided. Mary was just a person. Scripture doesn't tell us that we should worship her or, or pray to her. But yet she also had a unique calling in God's story. She was a woman, not divine, and her role in bringing about Jesus was a sacred calling. But it was one that was given to her by God's grace. Nonetheless, I believe that we can receive encouragement and guidance, as Mary is a good model for us in the faith and how she expressed simple faith in God and her response to God's work in her life. So the first thing I want to talk about briefly this morning is Mary's humanity, her humanity. Verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So Mary is 
a quintessential example to us of the type of person that God uses. She was not herself powerful or spectacular. She wasn't superhuman. She wasn't supernatural. She was a young woman, but she was a woman of faith. And she responded to the working of God in her life with an open heart. God has demonstrated throughout history that he can and often does choose to use very unlikely people to accomplish his purposes. Personally, I appreciate the honesty with which the Bible presents humans. Humans are always presented as humans, making mistakes, missing the mark, sometimes even missing God's calling and voice in their lives. But yet we can observe that God uses us in spite of our humanity. In fact, he uses the very humanity to demonstrate that he is God and that we are not. So we see Mary's humanity in the way that she was troubled at the words of the angel. Okay, first of all, just the appearance of an angel is enough to be troubled, to be frightened, to be afraid. But yet the words that this angel brings to this young woman, they're life-altering, world-changing, prophecy-fulfilling, supernatural, outrageously good, yet hard-to-believe good news that your people have been waiting for hundreds of years to hear. That is what you hear from this angel. And dare I ask, if you were in her place, how would you have responded? I think about that. How would I have responded? Probably in disbelief. But I think the way that I could characterize my response to an angel and an angel bringing such incredible news is that I would do what I affectionately have come to call the melted butter trick. So this is what my 17-month-old does in protest when things don't go her way. She just sort of flops to the floor, like putting butter in the microwave. You ever watched it in there? It just sort of crumbles at a certain point. And this is what my toddler does when things don't go her way. Some people call it the wet noodle trick. Right? This, is, this is how you would respond. You would be troubled. We see that Mary was, was a human. She's surprised. She's shocked by this news. And yet we also see her humanity in a second layer in a very good question. Verse 34, she says, how will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Again, I love this detail. You see, Mary, she was a young woman, but apparently she understands the way the world works. And so she asks a very good question. Yes. How's this going to work out? And the angel kind of gives her an answer. Basically, the answer is God is going to do it. The only way this is going to happen is it's going to be a supernatural thing. And Mary recognizes that God is doing this to fulfill an ancient promise. She also understands that salvation must come in a way that only God can accomplish it so that only God can get the credit. It's supernatural. That's the way that God works. We see this all throughout the story, that God demonstrates over and over that he's in control and we are not. It's his story. And so, of course, he will bring about salvation in a way that you cannot explain by ordinary, normal human behavior. It's going to be a supernatural thing. And Mary's response to this is simple faith. Verse 38. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. This response is a good example for us. You see, there are many things that we cannot be sure of in life, but scripture tells us that there are many promises that we can hold to as the people of God. 
And the question that Luke's narrative poses to his original audience, and I think to us today, every single one of us, is will you believe that God will do what he says that he will do? That's your question this morning. That's the question we must all ask ourselves. Will you believe? It's a simple question. A profound question. Will you believe that God will do what he says that he will do? Will you join in with saints who down through the ages have responded to God in different times, different places, different trials and opportunities? People who have said in the way of Mary, Lord, may it be unto me according to your word. After all, this was the response of our Savior himself, Jesus Christ, when he was anguished in spirit, praying in the garden on the way to the cross, he prayed these words, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. In other words, may it be unto me according to your word. Now, immediately following the blessing and confession of Elizabeth, we see starting in verse 46, these words that Pastor Dan just read for us. It's a hymn of praise where Mary bursts forth into song. It's sometimes referred to as the Magnificat. It's a beautiful song. It's filled with hope and rich truth about God. And her joy is prompted by the joy and blessing of Elizabeth. We see that our faith and our joy, they're built in community. That's the way it works. That's what's so powerful about a service like this. When we gather together and we sing God's praise in a room with other people is that our joy is multiplied, isn't it? And our faith is strengthened. Because we can look around the room and we see people who are facing different circumstances and different trials, but together we're coming and we're saying, Lord, we believe. May it be unto us according to your word. That is our faith, our collective faith. But why does Luke interrupt the flow of this story to offer these songs of praise? We're going to look at another one here in a few weeks. I mean, these songs don't move the plot along. They're almost like an add-on. Why does Luke include them? I think he does it because of the very beginning of the story. He wants to instruct us in the way to hear this story, to understand that this story about a man named Jesus is more than information. Our response is to be a response of worship. We're to join together with Mary. We're to join together with those who heard the news for the very first time and respond to this good news in worship. And that is exactly how Mary responds. Verse 46, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Her hymn of praise is very appropriately God-focused. And she gives God praise for two specific categories. The first is she thanks God for the specifics of, of her situation. She thanks him for being merciful to her, to calling her to such an incredible calling. And I think we too, we should thank God for the specifics, not just generally for being good, but we should recall the specific ways that God has been good and merciful to us. But then she goes beyond that because it's not just about her. And she praises God going through a list of his attributes, that he is a God who is strong and mighty, holy and righteous, merciful and just, faithful and loyal from generation to generation. Those who love him and trust in him will find his mercy. She praises a God who is bigger than her individual story. We would do well to follow this example, to praise God for the specifics, but also to remember that he is a big God and that he is in control of all of human history. 
Now, Mary will become a model and a representative for what it means to experience God's grace. It says that she will be called blessed. But the point here is not Mary's faithfulness. It's God's faithfulness. Mary herself is quick to exalt God for his greatness. She's only special in the fact that God has chosen her to bring about this special blessing. But let us remember that he has also chosen each and every one of us to share his redemptive story with others. This narrative, it promises us a God who does not leave us in our poverty and in our suffering. He promises to redeem and restore and renew all things. Therefore, this story reminds us that as weary people, we have every reason to rejoice. It's not just about having a positive attitude toward life generally. It's more than that. It's defiantly rejoicing in the midst of our weariness because we have faith and trust in a gracious and merciful and all-powerful covenant-keeping God. Together, our response today is to say, may your word to us be fulfilled. May it be so today and in the days ahead. Amen.